Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 30th of September 2019. We'll start this morning with feed barley and tell you that it's worth X Farm 115 if you want to move it this week, next week, the following week, all the way through October and probably November, the same price. There's boats about, people need to buy it, and that's about the value. If they get desperate, they might pay you an extra pound. Malting barley, kind of dead on its feet at the moment. We have a, a bit of a strange situation where the springs are so oversupplied, they are trading at a discount to some of the winter barleys. If you've got really good high-spec craft, you might make 130x for the autumn, and spring barley's best we can report is 125x. Both of those on the basis of 1.85 nitrogen. So skipping past barley seamlessly, actually no, we'll better stick on on that for a moment and just say new crop prices kind of round about 140 for new crop winter barley for harvest movement delivered into store, something around that area. Not really very active market at the moment. Oilseed rape, sideways moving, uh, the massive futures are creeping upwards but the price in the UK at this point is 330 which is I think the same as last week and if you're looking at new crop oilseed rape for the following year it's 320 which is a pretty punchy forward price but we've well documented the issues with flea beetle and the dryness and some of the difficulties of the development of this coming crop we are quite friendly to that market don't see much downside at the moment it's probably a good time to talk about some dry weather in, in some other parts of the world which are beginning to be a bit of a concern. Argentina and Australia, the Southern Hemisphere, are struggling a bit with dryness and that could have an impact on our prices, um, especially within the rape arena. And on that subject, you know, climate variation, we've had Greta Thunberg making a very strong case for a young lady in a very powerful way, only to be snubbed by our favourite friend Donald. The point is that there is anecdotal evidence of extreme climate changing. We've had the four hottest years on the trot. Will next summer have another 40 degrees? This is the sort of thing that we have to start considering as, is this the new norm? And therefore, will one of these years the drought continue all the way through and give us an absolute disaster? I mentioned last week, seven years of plenty, which is what the world has achieved, and we always like to get a bit preachy down here, so yeah, I think seven years of famine. I think the world's going to find it harder and harder to continue to produce big crops, because the weather is beginning to quite obviously change. The only thing outstanding on prices to talk about is wheat. Again, the boat demand is uh, very strong so you could make spot 130x and for november you'll make the same price nobody particularly wants to buy november because they've already got lots of it bought october they're probably a bit tight because they've sold too many boats so if you compare a spot movement of wheat at 130 with an x farm value for march next year at 134 you have to question why you're keeping it in the store in the first place i mean i appreciate you've got a longer period to market over and the market might go up but there isn't really any justification with the costs involved with storing it the risks of bugs etc over the winter and 
you know, if you've got an overdraft, it doesn't make any sense at all. So 130x spot is a pretty punchy price. If you look at new crop prices for feed wheat at the moment, you would be 140 for December 20. That's pretty punchy as well, but it's kind of slightly firmer this morning on the futures as I speak. So it's getting possibly close to the magical 140x farm for November which I suggest a number of people will trade at. So if we see another pound rally on futures, then we will see a bit of new crop activity, I think. No one's got a real plan on that. We're all waiting for the outcome of our uh, marvellous parliament. Just for posterity, this week we saw the Prime Minister declared as someone who'd misled the Queen, so you can put that in a nice way or a nasty way and say that he fibbed to her, and then Parliament was recalled after he'd prorogued it. Now, the point of all of this is, in the future, if anyone's listening to this podcast, the absolute dire condition of the UK Parliament is embarrassing around the world. They're really sending out some very confusing messages as to where we're going next. It is a complete farce, and I think politics in the UK have got to have a shake-up. We've got to stop the two-horse race. We've got to stop the far right, the far left, counterbalancing each other in terms in office and having some form of proportional representation, which will send one or two people wild saying that will never work. But I'm afraid in other European countries, you need to have opinions from people if they've got 25% of the vote, i.e. the Green Party, then I think they need to have more than one MP in Parliament. So out of all of this, it could well be the demise of our politics as it stands. And I've got to say, at this point, I hope so. Uh, That's a bit heavy, but it needs recording because it is a very strange time. And and all of these market predictions are based upon kind of supply and demand and the normal stuff. And we've got a government that could take us out of Europe. We could have an extension into Europe. We might remain in Europe if we have a general election and the Lib Lib Dems get in. And it's complete polar opposites in terms of, of value. And, you know, anyone trying to say to a farmer, here's some good advice, here's your risks, here's your rewards. It's impossible. And this will all be forgotten sometime in the future. But right now we're in such a mire, you can't make a serious prediction. Because if you're absolutely right, it may well be for the wrong reason. And that's great. But it's not great because you like to get predictions on the basis of what you think is going to happen on the basis of a supply and demand. And then you can make a clearer plan for the future about what's grown and, and what isn't. So with that slightly political end to the market report, have a wonderful week's trading. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Crush Foods produces a unique range of single variety cold pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This morning I've got with me my old mucker, Chris Harrison, a very nippy winger from Holt RFC. Good morning, Chris. <laughs> Good morning, Andrew. Those, those are a long, long, <laughs> long time ago, aren't they? So I think without any doubt, the timing of this podcast is profound in the sense that E.G. Harrison, which you and your brother Jamie are the joint managing directors of, lost your father this week, uh, Edward. Edward is a powerhouse in this industry. He, he was a man who always made his mark, a very fierce Uh, but fair person who had so many aspects of support for young people in the industry, a very impressive and motivating man. And it's 
a big moment, the passing of him. So our condolences go to you, Jamie and Sarah, and all of the family, Chris. Thank you, Andrew. Um, it has come quite as a shock, really. He's He's been a relatively fit man all his life, and in the last week or last 10 days, we had a few issues. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, he passed away Monday week, and it was very quick, which is probably the way he would want it. But nevertheless, it's left a big hole in the whole family because he's been such an influence on all of us. Yeah, I, 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 it, must be, it must be very strange. Well, it is. You know, he built E.G. Harrison & Co. When he came back from the services, he came home and he took over and ran the farm with his father. And then eventually when James and I came home, he'd built you know, land base from 200 acres to 800 acres, which mm. then allowed James and I to go on and keep expanding the business. And without that platform, we wouldn't have done it very easily. No, absolutely. So with that as a backstop, I'm grateful for you still coming in. Obviously, there's lots of things going on at the moment. So let's go straight from, as we're talking about family, you've got Edward, James and yourself managing the business. And as we look into the future, I mean, both you and I, Chris is one month younger than I. So if I call him an old codge, I'm calling myself an old codge. (laughs) You definitely are an old codge, like I am. There's a forward plan. What what happens next? Because you've got three boys as well. We have. Well, James and I have been working for 30 years now together. You know, as is saying, going back to father, what we decided to do, my brother and I, is divide the business sort of into James looking after potato production and myself looking after the rest of the other farming activities. And I think, well, I hope he says the same, but I think we've joggled you along fairly well together, really. And I think we've built a reasonably successful base for the boys and I've got three boys. Unfortunately, James hasn't got any children, but I've got three boys. They're very close to my brother, which I'm very grateful for. The oldest one, Joe, is now coming to Woodland Holiday Park, which is a separate business, as you know. Yeah, we'll come on to Woodland. Henry is with Brown & Co., and he's been there for, for three years, I would have thought, now. Mm-hmm. And then Tom's currently working out in New Zealand, obviously home at the moment. Yeah, I mean, and all of them have an interest in agriculture, although the oldest, Joe, is, is showing actually great aptitude for well let's talk about woodlands and that particular business well woodlands was started by my mother and father in 1973 actually and by my uncle and aunt and there was a piece of grass in the middle of the farm which they decided to buy and they started with touring caravans and um, it's grown well beyond all our expectations with the help of andrew hurd who's our um, main manager and joe's come into that and he is so good with people he's got such a lovely kind nature he's now taking over the leisure side of the business and I'm, we're so proud of him because he's really taking it on board so yes joe's fully with us now yeah no it's a, it's a, I went there to uh, to watch England lose the semi final of the World Cup. Yeah. If you remember, yeah. and it's yeah, it's from a simple grass field and touring caravans into a fabulous clubhouse and leisure facility and static caravans. And as we look at people having to get into diversification, effectively, yeah. you, you did it in 1973 as a family, yeah. and the benefits of that are. are yeah, profound, aren't they? It's, it's a very, very successful business. It is. It's, you know, bigger than the farm now, actually. And again, you know, I, I don't want to keep going back to it, but it is important. You know, father had the foresight, and mother did, certainly, of developing this business. And each stage that went along, I mean, they built Scandinavian lodges and they built a Scandinavian clubhouse. Well, not many people do that. For people who don't know, Chris farms a, a village called Trimmingham, which yeah. is high up above the sea uh, on a cliff of basically how, how many hundred well, feet is the cliff of sand? Old school, we're about 160 foot above, yeah. so it's high cliff. Yeah, and the caravan park is sufficiently far enough away to see a, a couple of generations of Harrisons running it, isn't it? But at yeah. this current rate 
coastal erosion is my is one of my pet subjects. You know, you famously had was it an acre that just fell in the sea one day? We did just literally just collapsed by about sixty foot straight away down, and um, then the sea obviously took it away after that over a period of time. Yeah, kept Yarmouth uh, in place. Well, they, yes. <laughs> Currently, we're not too bad at the moment. You go through peaks and troughs, so you probably won't lose any, or we probably won't lose any for two or three years, and then bang, a big lump goes. And mainly, this is caused by underground springs along the top of the cliff, mm-hmm. which bulge out and then burst the top over, and mm-hmm. then the sea takes the bottom. We've traditionally farmed up to the edge of the cliff um, within sort of two or three metres probably of the edge and um, currently we've gone away from that policy and we're now looking to use countryside stewardship scheme to try and get some 20 metres, 25 metres away and get some deep rooted cover crops in there just to try and see whether we can help stem the top going Um, and it looks nice and you know being a traditional farmer, being brought up as a traditional farmer, it was always farm every bit of land that you yeah, possibly yeah. could, you know, with proper traditional arable crops. But we're going away, f- we're not going away from that. But along that particular vulnerable edge, we are now looking at cropping it in a different manner. Um, I've got to, I've got to, you know, crack the joke about you cut the bit <laughs> of the field near the road and then send the men down to cut the bit by the cliff. Well, <laughs> the bottom line is the government policy, long-term thinking in the UK about strategy. One of the strategies that's ignored is coastal erosion. Mm. You say you can't fight the sea. Well, the, the Dutch did a pretty good job of holding it back and, and increasing their land mass. We've got phenomenally fertile, brilliant food-producing land that's just being allowed to wash away. And at some point, uh, well, at what point will the government say, oh, we really must do something about this, when it gets to the coast road? Well, as far as the North Norfolk District Council at the moment, they've got um, a scheme, 25, 15, 100-year line. So it's drawn across the map. Right. And um, their policy is to maintain as much as they can within their budget, but ultimately to let it go. And there's always been a policy, apart from recently when obviously they're doing a lot of sandscaping work. At Backton. At Backton. The Backton, for those not from the county, Backton is where the gas terminal, where we import two-thirds of the gas for the UK into the country. And it's on the coast, and if they continue to let the coast wash away, they're going to wash away the import facility we have for gas. So they've got to protect it. So they've dug a load of sand up from a sandbank out at sea and pumped it on to the beach next door, haven't they? Which which is great, you know, good. That should last at least six minutes. (laughs) You know, a good old storm, and most of that will be in Yarmouth anyway, won't it, clogging up the harbour. But my issue is, and somewhere in the future, someone will say, oh, do you know, we really shouldn't let all that go. What can we do? Can we put a load of... stuff out in the sea so far out that breaks up the surge or you know how can we reduce the amount of pressure on that cliff mark twain said by land they stopped making it years ago that's a fact that land is just disappearing what's the real day job for you and jamie at the moment james is fully into lifting potatoes we grow about a thousand acres of potatoes Mm -hmm. now and that's not just on your own land, no, is it? You... No, I mean, this is really all, where it all started to grow for us. When we started renting potatoes land, some farms would say, well, would you come and contract our farm? So that's when brought all the arable aspect in. So at the moment, as far as James and I are concerned of E.G. Harrison & Co., he's very much focused on potatoes. And that's, you know, far as everything, marketing, all agronomy, growing, everything. He's on the board, isn't he? He's on the potato. Market. Well, he's he's with the Cattle Grower Group. don't think they have a word chairman, but he's certainly the most 
yeah, one of the be. most influential people. Yeah. And he is generally, I mean, you I know, mean, he's no, been he on Cupra just, and, you know, he, yeah. he he's well known within the potato industry Absolutely. now. So that's him. So on our day-to-day basis, we still get up in the morning and meet this time of year at half six in the office, look at each other and say morning. morning. And, then <laughs> and then we've always discussed the day, you know, we have about eight men. This time of year, it's fairly easy. Go and lift potatoes or go and drill wheat and barley. But we very much cross over, you know, it's not James Potatoes, me, arable. We very much cross over. And we're quite widespread. I mean, trimming is the main base. But we're, you know, we're farming out at Melton Constable. And then the other way, we're down to um, Martham. And I'm talking about, obviously, renting land and contract farming. Our first breaking contract farming with Mr. Penrose up the road here, which got us to the magic 1,000 acres, which is what my father always wanted. And then we were lucky to be invited to um, contract farm Kelling Estates Mm -hmm. and then East Beckham Produce. And, you know, we've just kept going. And You've got a serious spread. You talk about Kelling and East Beckham. You've got some exceptionally light land. You've got some, you've got some sturdy land in amongst all of that. So you, I guess your potatoes, you have to have a spread of the season. There must be some bits you're aiming at while it's still dry. We do. I mean, very much now, the west of the country is the early lift. Western Norfolk, west of the country. Western Norfolk is the early lift. Norfolk is a country, everybody, yeah, by the way. <laughs> we'll keep that in there. So <laughs> that's very much our early lift. And we've been concentrating lifting out there since about August the 5th we started. That's going straight into kettle crisps yep. and um, we were doing seven or eight loads a day which worked well and then we have going to harvesting the seeds so there's a constant flow of harvesting from august the 5th and our ideal is to get it in before the end of october and you're on course for that no because it, it must have been too dry uh no we're on course for that we are i think out of a thousand acres we've got about 350 left to do so okay the rain that's just, we, as we walked up towards this office, I said, well, you know, how's the rain affected you? And he said, well, it's been great for lifting spurs. We had an inch and it's made it. Well, it has, because our biggest worry was, I mean, you know, there's some good variety called Innovator we're lifting at the moment and some pretty reasonable, bold size. But our biggest worry was if we didn't get any moisture, we'd I'd have to turn around and irrigate again yeah, or wait for the rains. And we wouldn't wait for the rains. No. So this rain has been absolutely ideal to get it into the bork so we can try and reduce yeah, damage. So let's get back to the boys. Obviously, you, you've got Joe, who's in Woodlands. You've got Henry, who's a land agent. Yeah. And you've got Tom, who's out in New Zealand. Yes. Henry is with Brown & Co. for three years. I mean, extremely proud of him. I'm proud of all of them. <laughs> all of them. You know, he's gone there, and he's making a life for himself there. Brown & Co. have been very good at taking these youngsters on. No, no, I agree. They, they've Hen- got a really you know, good they policy. Have. They've got a good base, and Henry's been working for us. Yeah. And we've been paying... Proud and coach, just make that clear. Yeah, well, if every if every does leave and come back to the farm, we'd be charging you by the hour. Well, he will do. Coffee, it'll cost you quite a he lot. He will do. Know. I don't think I can afford him then. <laughs> but he's getting on well there, and he's gaining so much experience. He applied for a grant for us for Woodlands mm-hmm. to help with this new leisure centre, and which he was very successful with. Mm-hmm. Joe and Henry are now very much. Well, he's now captain of Holt First Team, mm-hmm. which his grandfather. Well, well, he must he, have been immensely proud of that. Uh, he was, and, and, especially, and Joe and Tom, I mean, they all three of them played for the first team in one game, and that yeah. was quite extraordinary. Yeah. Joe and Henry, being involved as they are now, you know, he was so proud of them. Well, look, Holt Rugby Club, for, for everyone who, who's ever come across it, it's, it's one of the, the, the greatest, most <clears throat> social clubs in the land. It is played for the right reasons. You know, victory is important, and obviously everyone's very competitive to a point, but in all honesty, it's the camaraderie and the goodwill and the drinking beer and just, it's such a great club, isn't it? It is. 
Um, we, we had a couple of seasons there, Chris did. and I, uh, Captain yeah. the Seconds. And as I say, Chris was my nippy little winger. <laughs> <laughs> and I was the nippy little fullback. And uh, yeah, no, we had such fun with Charlie, Charlie Crafer's port crate. So at the end right. of every game, he, 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 right. he made a box that he, he put did. two bottles of port in and um, 15 glasses. And he after did. every game, we had to see the port off. Yeah. And this is back in the day when... Those things. Happened. Well, they were great. I mean, there was Richard Seaman, there was Jimmy Lockhart, you know, Jim, William Almy, William Almy, Jimmy Gray, and you know, Billy Ritchie. I mean, I love the place. Obviously, Marshy. don't forget Marshy. I'm, I'm don't forget Marshy. Yeah. <laughs> so Henry, Henry is as first team captain at the moment. Joe's regularly playing. Yes. Tom obviously can't because he's he's showing the, the New Zealanders how to play. Yeah. Um, you know, at some point, if they said right, we all want to come home. I mean, obviously, the loss to Brown and Cobra would be immense. Could you cope? Would it happen? Could it? Uh... Um, the short answer, Andrew, is yes, it could. Yeah, um, but it, and so the dynamic subliminally, everybody thinks, you know, what happens succession. You, you can't nail it until it actually occurs, can no. you? But it's a big enough unit, and you have specialist potatoes. You have the roles of Woodland is is a standalone, very yeah. profitable business. The cereals and the charming that you do, and that you know, get, keeping customers happy, and Jamie with his potatoes. There's enough jobs there to go around, aren't there? There is. You know, as, as but you don't you, know, do you? Yeah. We don't know within this industry now. It's it's the office which is, demands so much attention. We've been so fortunate to have Peggy Dean for the last Absolutely. thirty years. I mean, she's been our stalwart. She doesn't, you know, what she doesn't know about us is not worth knowing. Well, she's a bit bossy sometimes. Yes, yeah, she is. She yeah. is, and she's. Quite I'm not forthright. scared. I'm not scared of you, Peggy. She just so you know, <laughs> she is forthright. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> We look for a practical man. Tom's a practical man. Tom's yeah. a practical farmer. And he just, he's got it. So obviously, James and I would love him to come home and be practically involved with us and manage us to a certain extent. Word, um, word has it, he's, he's lost his heart to a, to a he New has. Zealand girl, hasn't he? He has. And, and there's uh, a dilemma. He's what? having his experience and he's learning so much, especially in potatoes and onions. You know, they've got such a different, I could go on about this all day, but the way they farm is so different to us. And there's some of the practices that they're using we could probably use here. So and he's getting all that. Mm. Amongst all that, there's also, you know, there's a shoot, a very, very popular shoot. And everyone jokes, oh, farmers go off shooting for the winter. Which, yeah, if you go on a shoot and you, you blow a load of money away to go and do it, that's, that's one thing. But if you actually run a shoot, yeah. tell me a bit about that, because it is not as easy as it appears, is it? No. Well, this all started back in 2001, and... Um, when we contract farmed East Beckham, the shoot came up. And at that time, a gentleman by the name of Neville Tilney and my father said they'll take it on. Because at home, we were developing woodlands. Mm-hmm. So our shooting potential at home altered drastically. So they took it on. And they started having a few days and landlord days and one thing or another. And it started off, I can't remember, 20 days or something like that, 15 to 20 days. Mm. We're now 42 days. Yes. And it's a full-time Because people, people spend money and, and, it, you know, they're, they're, yeah. and they want a great day out, don't they? They do. But, you know, it's not just about them being on the field and, you know, having no, sporting a- birds come over them. It's about talking to them, talking to their friends, the banter the food, the drinks provided. Standing on a cold day in a wet field. Because they pay a lot of money. I mean, And expectations are great. Due to work pressures, I've not had really the time to shoot. I've got a load of colleagues in this industry who do do that. Off they go. But I kind of set my own thing up. And you can't 
bugger off for several days in the winter shooting if you've got a, a training book that's occurring and no one there to support you, which I did in the Absolutely. early days. So I, I kind of missed getting into it. I've been on a shoot. I went on one with, with Bill Portfleet once at Westwick just to see what the crack was. And it was fantastic. I get it. You know, you go into a cold field, you have, have a, a, a wee a wee dram of something and you stand there and then these pheasants come over and you shoot them and then and then you're going to have a fabulous lunch and then you're going to do the same thing again in the afternoon. And it's great fun, isn't it? It's, people are taking the mickey out of each other. You've got a whole day of just larking about and keeping a bit fit and being a bit cold and you feel like you've done something. It is a really good fun thing to do if you do it periodically but if you have to actually manage everyone's fun 40 shoots there's so much running around and organizing of people beating and oh i wouldn't want to do that well i don't do all 40 just stress i mean jamie does some uh neil miller who's um ian's father-in-law father-in-law he helps me tremendously to do a lot yes hosting's hard work you as you know to keep everyone happy you know you've got to be in the right frame of mind to host people yeah no, look customer care yeah is it's like running a holiday let it's like running a hotel it's like running a, a pub if you come in there and you're feeling really grumpy and down and out it's like ah pff, you know, i'm it not hanging around we, this pub. and we can't do that and, no it's, you know, it's if it's fun they yeah. come back and they'll spend the yeah. money and it becomes a profitable exactly. operation exactly. so it's it, yeah. you know there's a lot of anti-shoot but there's a dynamic within the industry within agriculture and beyond that brings a lot of people together it's not just farmers is it there's there's ancillary trades and it is a place where you are it's like being in the in the dressing room at Holt again with your mates where you take the mickey out of each other you're, you're in that truck aren't you and you can tease each other for various inadequacies or whatever you're wearing or you're getting too thin or too fat or too bald or whatever it's all there for people to tease each other and that is is a healthy way of kind of keeping an eye on yourself as I'm saying again, whole spectrum of society who do it. Mm. You know, yes, we know what the pressures are. Yes, we know what the media is saying about it. You know, you could have a hundred reasons to say you shouldn't be doing it. But there's more than that saying we should be doing it. Now, I think what we, what we normally do is I, I get Webby to come across to have a beer. But this morning, I'm going to say I'm totally confident that you and I can banter away about beer because we've spent a lifetime doing exactly that, haven't we? So. Yes. My wife has recently visited Redwell Brewery in um, in the Arches at Brackendale in Norwich, and she's told me it is a very trendy place to go, as has Josh, my son. Yeah. They reckon it's a really cool place to go, and they're making some very good beers. So I haven't been, because I'm, I'm obviously well off the scene of groovy places, but I've been told I've got to go there and try it. And so she's brought me four beers back. We're only going to do one. Right. And today Sensible. we've got their Extra Pale Ale. Right. Oh, it's quite strong, actually, 4.6%. And, um, yeah, it is a business, so hopefully it's not going to spray everywhere because it's a can. And I'm going to pour some of that out. That is extra pale, isn't it? Pale ales are getting very popular. Yeah, there we go. Looks a business, doesn't it? Right, my discerning beer expert friend. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, I like that. Sort of a... Lemony sort of... At Woodlands now, we're selling something very similar to this, mm -hmm. and it's very popular. I enjoy it. I love these beers, but it's not everyone's cup of tea, but these types of beers I really enjoy. They're good, at, good do. early yeah. session, as yes. he calls them. Yes, they exactly. Get yourself going, move on to something. Exactly. They're not quite as heavy as a full bitter. And no, that, anyway. This is getting a big tick, isn't it? This Red is getting a big tick. Have you been to Red Bull Brewery yet? No. Oh, well, you need to go because it's groovy. So what else is going on? What else can we... Um, what else can we cover as a couple of old codgers with reflection on the past? Well, I think, to be honest, I don't know what you feel, but if you think when we first knew each other... Mm -hmm. 1942. And when you were then... I would have known you 
1985, I would have first come across you, not necessarily trading with you, but I was back at Dalgetty's as a million week trader, and I was mate you with Laurie Ritchie yeah. and, and, yeah. and that crew. And That's I would right. have met you through the, yeah. I met Richard Seaman through the, there was a thing called the Thursday Night Club. It was, that's right. And yeah. I met Richard through yeah. that. You, so then you end up at that age going to everybody's party. Yeah, We did, and there was with Bruce Rossi and one thing or another. But I think my feeling is, and I don't you know, maybe it's because obviously losing both my parents within two years. Mm. But my feeling is, and if you look at where we started and where we are, what we've been doing, and I know people say this, but it's just gone like a snap. It really <laughs> has. It seems to, you know, children growing up. Josh is 29 tomorrow. That's... Yeah. And look how fast they've grown up. And um, yeah. as my father would say, you've got to enjoy every minute that you're on this earth. And I, I can, I, without any doubt, I can see that. When we, you tell youngsters that today and they don't believe you. Yeah. But the reality is it was six weekends ago that we were playing rugby at Holt. Yep. And I was 32 years old and had hair. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, it yeah. is literally, it is, that memory is just, just there. It is. It's the same eyes looking out at the world, but the the world's looking at me and I, they see a slightly different shape. <laughs> yes. The only benefit of oldness is wiseness, you know. And, and the number of cliched times people say, oh, if I knew then what I knew now. It's true. There's so many things you, you probably wouldn't do and there's so many things more that you would do because you'd think, what the hell, you know. My knees work, my yeah. hip doesn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hindsight's a great thing, and as we all know, we you know we'd have done a few things with hindsight. Yeah, but, but at the end of the day, not too much different. We make mistakes and still make mistakes, and always will. But if you wake up in the morning and you're content, you know you look, you know, I'm still breathing as a bit of a bonus. Yeah, at our age. it is, it is. <laughs> but it is, it, but yeah. it, it, contentment is is basis. You get up in the morning and you either start the day with with a negative thought about something, or you start the day with a positive thought. How, how's today going to be good? What can I do? How can I avoid something troublesome and, and procrastinate on it, or should I just deal with it and then and then get on with my life? But it's your disposition. You know, you're, Christopher, your disposition is a cheerful disposition. You have your moments, but largely you are a cheerful bloke. You kind of see the good, you see the positive, and you want it to be a good happy day don't you yes I mean it wasn't always the case with me I mean you know I used to worry about everything under the sun and I don't I worry less actually which is interesting in the moment and I do try and have a more of a relaxed persona than probably I did when I was we were back at 18 or 19 I have I have a phrase that will that I think I'll wind this up with which which is a compliment to you they say at the age of 50 which we've only just passed hmm. Um, by a distance <laughs> that by the age of 50 you have the face you deserve and on your face it is not scowl lines it is laughter lines yeah, so yeah. there is the greatest observation much. of your life thank you my pleasure all thank the best you. Christopher thank you Andrew thanks for listening make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewandgrain. The Doing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 